All right, all right. Welcome to Investment Banking Insights. This is the only podcast dedicated to helping you learn both the technical and the non-technical aspects of the investment banking process. Hello, my name is Alex Mason, your host, and I am so grateful that you're here joining me for just all this awesome knowledge that we're going through. And it's been quite a journey going through the summer. I mean, I started this podcast in May of 2023. I'm recording this episode. It just turned into August 2023. And even in just a few short months, like it's been an amazing experience hearing from you all, sending me messages, um, meeting some of you in person, even at these investment banking recruiting events that I've been going to. So it's just really cool. And of course, we're the best part of it all is that we're learning and getting better and better together during our journey. So thanks for all that. But we're going through mergers and acquisitions now. That's the section that we're on, going through all the basics. And in the last episode, we talked about the difference between goodwill and intangible assets, other intangible assets that are not goodwill. And I gave you the example of a patent portfolio as something that's an asset on a balance sheet, but it's intangible and it's also not goodwill. So just another example there. But what are some other intangible effects on companies that can happen specifically related to an acquisition? We know goodwill changes, right? We've covered that. But when one company acquires another, what are some more kind of niche scenarios that we might want to consider? That's the question for today. Because there are a few other more obscure types of intangible considerations when one company is buying another. I'm going to give you two of them. The first one is called an in-process R&D write-off. So when a company purchases another company, they can purchase this in-process R&D write-off. Now that's kind of a mouthful. Let's break that down. So R&D, that's just an acronym for research and development. It's a type of operating expense that businesses have, especially companies that are really focused on innovation and they're trying to create something new and there's maybe science involved, maybe laboratories, prototypes are being built, materials are being tested, you name it. I mean, this is very prevalent in companies like materials companies or uh, science-related companies, tech companies. R&D is a huge portion. One example is a company Atlassian, the software firm out of Australia. Like A huge, huge portion of their revenue goes directly to R&D because they're constantly testing new code, testing new cloud-based solutions for their products that they want to sell to enterprise customers. So that's an example of R&D. Super important, especially for highly innovative companies. Now, an in-process R&D write-off. So what that means is when a business has a specific research and development project that's underway, and then the company gets acquired in the middle of that, well, that's kind of a tricky situation, right? Because this R&D, it usually costs a lot of money for businesses to fund research and development, and you're kind of waiting for this payoff at the end, hoping that some of the things that you're testing, some of the things that you're developing are ultimately going to become products and services that you sell to customers. You kind of want to move from this exploration and and, uh, research phase to this production phase. But 
What if you're in the middle of it? You're not quite there. You've sunk a ton of money into a project. It hasn't paid off yet. And then another company comes knocking and they buy your company. So what do you do? How do you account for this in the books? Well, this unfinished research and development is considered essentially a large expense that is part of the acquisition costs. So this is considered this intangible effect on the company during an acquisition because you're not physically, nothing physically is changing, right? You're not selling a factory, you're not buying a plan or disposing of some part of a business here. When you're buying a business and it's in the middle of this R&D project, you can write off that expense as part of the acquisition. So that's one little niche case that you can think of. The second thing is something called a deferred revenue write-off. And we talked a little bit about deferred revenue in the past where a company could collect cash up front, but they don't recognize the revenue. For example, in a subscription-style business, because revenue is recognized when the service is rendered. That's an important concept to always remember. So what do we have with this deferred revenue write-off? Well, this is when the business being acquired has already collected cash for the service that it hasn't recorded yet as revenue. But here within the context of an acquisition, when one business is buying another business, the acquiring company writes this amount off during the acquisition. And the reason is very simple. They do this because they don't want the revenue to be counted twice. Because if the company that had been acquired counts it as revenue, um, but they haven't actually uh, rendered the service yet, then after the acquisition happens and then the service is rendered, then the parent company is going to count it as revenue. And then it's just double counting when the cash was only received once. So that's why it's kind of cleaning up the books there by writing off this deferred revenue when the acquisition takes place. So that's another intangible effect of an acquisition when one company buys another. Really neat stuff, really <laughs> interesting stuff. These are kind of these niche cases that when I was reading into this, I was like, wow, like I, this makes sense, but I never really thought about this. But thinking about it from an M&A perspective, now I kind of understand like why these things are important because these are real life situations that happen all the time. They happen all the time in the course of the global business community. And as a banker, you and I are going to have to understand these idiosyncrasies, understand the details, because we got to get it right. We got to get it right for the client. So that's my episode for you today. I hope you have enjoyed Investment Banking Insights. Thank you for rating this show on Spotify, rating this show on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. I really appreciate all those five-star ratings. It really warms my heart to see it. So thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.